this is Kristen Hedgecock. And I'm Ash Matson. You're listening to Apta Sophia, which means useful wisdom in the pursuit of biblical womanhood. Hey guys, it's Ash. A few weeks ago, Kristen sat down with her husband, Scott, for an impromptu off-the-cuff interview that touches on a variety of topics. But for the bulk of the interview, they hone in on homeschooling and home education. And Kristen gave some great perspective and shared a lot of practical wisdom that we think might be useful to you guys. I know it was useful to me. So we thought we would release it for our listeners as an uncut bonus episode. Keep an eye out for Scott's new podcast, The Hedgecast, which will be launching soon. And until then, we hope you enjoy. All right, so first question. What do you think is easier, to be the interviewer or the interviewee? Probably the interviewer. You think so? Uh Uh-huh. Doesn't the interviewer have to drive the conversation, though? Yes. And you think that's easier? I think it is easier because you know kind of what you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. You want to know where you want the conversation to go, more or less. Okay. And it's less pressure to have to, like, think of a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Or at least an answer. An answer, yeah. Because yeah. I could be like, hmm, that's a good question. I haven't <clears throat> given much thought about that or whatever yeah i guess where i'm going with this is just to have real conversations with real people and so i want to get good at that right i want to be i want to be good at drawing out of people who they are what makes them interesting because i honestly think you know a lot of well i mean i think everybody's interesting though Well, I think there's a bell curve, you know, kind of like in <laughs> statistics. I think most people are. Um, I think I think people are interesting if they're thoughtful, you know, if they have a a reflective view of life. I think that's interesting to hear them mm-hmm. if they if they think about what they're doing and they have reasons, right? <clears throat> I, I do think we could probably find some people that if you went and you try to ask some questions, you get a lot of yes, no, hmm, hadn't really thought about it. You could find some people, and that would be difficult. But I even think with those people, if you really, like, <clears throat> it's like what I'm trying to do is have just real conversations with real people. You know, I would imagine even those people in certain circumstances with the right friends, maybe with the right beverages. In the right context. In the right context. Yeah, I think everyone I think everyone can be interesting. I'll put it that way. Because I think, and, and, and here's the thing, I think that like, we love to watch, well, I don't know about you, in general, people love to watch celebrities, athletes, politicians, people like that be interviewed, and they find them interesting most of the time. <clears throat> but I think that, yeah, there's an attraction there because of their position, because they're well-known, but I think if you took most normal people and really did the same thing and got them to be reflective and think, I think you could get really interesting stuff out of just most anyone. Huh. Would you, you ever want to interview the most interesting man in the world? The Dosa Keys guy? Uh-huh. You mean the actor or like the guy that he is supposed to be? Both. You could interview them as 
him as the actor and the persona he portrays. And then you can interview him as a person, like as his, as himself. Like, is he really the most interesting man on both? Well, by what standard, right? Fronts? Yeah. I mean, what, what makes yeah. him the most interesting? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I'd rather, um, I think I'd rather interview the actor. And I would just, because what I want to know from him is, all right, man, so what's it like when you out into public and people are like, hey, those are keys, like most interesting man in the world. Tell me something interesting. Yeah. And what if he's got nothing? Yeah. What if he's just like, what if his name is like Stuart? And, you know, other than that, he like, I don't know, has a bread delivery business and he just takes bread to everybody all day and really has nothing interesting at all. Yep. I don't know. <clears throat> so yeah, I would go for that. I'd go for the most interesting man in the world. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but on that, um, I mean, I think you're interesting. Obviously, I married you. So, we got that going on. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I guess I'd just start off by, I know what we were talking about earlier. Earlier, okay, we'll just go there. Earlier we were talking about, okay, so I'll use the issue, but we, I think what I want to talk about is the language behind it, because I think language is interesting. So this idea that words have meanings, mm-hmm. right? Um, obviously you teach children, so you're, you're a homeschool educator. Mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier about, um, what was it, pro-life evangelicals for Biden. Right. That's an interesting position some people have staked out there. Yeah. So what are they saying about themselves? They're saying they're pro-life, yeah. which historically means what? They're against abortion, yes. which in the American context means that they're against legal abortion. Correct. They're for overturning Roe versus Wade, which means that they're for Supreme Court justices that might rule that way, which means that they traditionally would be for presidents who would appoint those sort of justices. Or am I reading too much into that to say that that's what the term historically meant? No, I agree with you on all fronts. I think to be a pro-life evangelical for Biden is an oxymoron. Yeah, it's an interesting position it's to stick It's an interesting out. position, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't understand how you can reconcile the two. Mm-hmm. And not give, no matter what front you're on, whether you're on the... Whether you're like, yeah, whether you're for Biden and everything he represents, they're just antithetical to each other. Yeah. So I don't understand how you reconcile these two very, very like vast different positions, pro-life and then like Biden and everything he stands for. Right. Well, and he doesn't historically stand for, for that. Nor does he currently. Right. I mean, I think if you think about it, I think that the thing that causes us a bit of consternation is the pro-life term. Because, mm-hmm. look, I could understand evangelicals for Biden. Yeah. Right? I could understand that position, right? Yeah. People who just don't like Trump. Um, and, I mean, I get that. Right. I mean, well, I'm not... I, I, no, I don't even get the evangelicals for Biden, to be honest. Well, I think, I mean, look, that's not my position, <laughs> right? right? I'm just, I'm trying to wear their shoes, right? Uh-huh. And I could see them saying, like, okay, look, I don't want to be a single-issue voter. Right. And I think on the whole, um, 
like, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I would say it this way when they say on the whole, mm-hmm. there's, you know, balancing the scales, they and their values see more good than bad in Biden. And, and yeah. let's just say this about evangelicals. I think a core of what it means to be an evangelical today is that you want to be nice. Right. You want to be liked. And loving. And loving. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a lot of, um, you know, what Biden and the Democrats push as policy, um, from a certain point of view, you could say that those things are nice and kind and loving, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're nice and kind and loving with other people's money. But, you know, let's forget about theft for a minute. And, you know, I'm just saying, if you just, if you try to be as charitable as possible. Right. I'm just saying I could, I could see that. But it seems like the modifier of pro-life. Yeah. That, to me, seems like what's going on there. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not a, I would never, I would not personally be an evangelical for Biden at all. But I'm saying that I, okay, I could, I could see where they're coming from, but to go that extra step and mm-hmm. to say, we're pro-life evangelical mm-hmm. for Biden. You're mm-hmm. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Cause you're having to put something on the back burner mm-hmm. and that's, I think your pro-life position because mm-hmm. that's not something that, um, Biden is for or wants or is going to approve or pick people to legislate yeah. for. Yeah. So, and I, and yeah, I mean, I, I can see where people might, I mean, I've heard it said that they're not just a one issue voter or one issue. Um, yeah. Voter that they look at everything and definitely social, um, social programs are very big because they are on face value if you just take them at face value uh, uh mimic a lot of christian values mm-hmm. um you know caring for your neighbor and the mm-hmm. sojourner and all of that on the on the front they mimic that now i think sure. if you delve deep into what that means i use the word mimic very strategically there um i don't think that's what that is um from a if you actually look at what biblically the, you know, what the definition of taking care of your neighbor and loving your neighbor and taking care of the sojourner and all that kind of stuff, I think, uh, yeah, I think (laughs) that, um, yeah, if you dig a little deeper, I think we have very different perspectives on how we do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and what would you say is the difference there? Because that, that's that's interesting. Then we'll come back to language, but I think yeah. you're going somewhere with this. I'm interested in hearing what, how you see that. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say that I think that, yes, it is important that we take care of refugees. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't see any problem with that. Does anyone disagree with that? And I don't think anybody does disagree with that. Right. Um, so, I think the disagreement is, do we take other people's money? Do we, um, do we just open our borders? Do we, you know, how do we do this? Yeah. And I would say like the, uh, very, um, yeah, we have very, very different biblical perspectives on that where like, well, when Jesus says to, or when not Jesus, he didn't say it, but <clears throat> in the old Testament, when it talks about, 
um, you know, taking care of the sojourner? Does it really mean collecting taxes from everybody or from the very wealthy or whatever and just not having any kind of due process for, um, for these people to, uh, to come into, uh, you know, your country or whatever, that they just get free access to that. Like, we just should naturalize everybody who comes in and not to do due process. Well, I don't think that that's the biblical precedent that is set in scripture, but that is what I think gets pushed um, currently is, well, we just, you know, might possibly have open borders and people who are here, let's not deport them. Let's just naturalize them and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not charge them criminally for coming here illegally and, you know, all the things. Um, so people always point out, well, you know, all of, you know, you're all here illegally, mm-hmm. right? Meaning, it, well, you can't see us because right. we're on podcast, but we're, we're white. So right. people say that and say, well, yeah. So do you yeah. think maybe... So do you think the Native would... Americans should have <laughs> reviewed their immigration? Exactly. <laughs> like, we're here yeah. for well, a it reason. Kinda, it kind of proves a point, right? I oh, mean, right. it's like... I mean, mm-hmm. it's... It, it's a sad point. It, oh, it's, it's, it's very... It's incredibly sad yeah. the way it's gone down. And we don't mean to make light of that at all. But it's funny how people use that as the gotcha line. And it's like, no, I think you misunderstood... I think what you're saying is, is that, look, uh, um, a culture is not defined by a land. It's impacted by a land, but a culture is only defined by people, which mm-hmm. is defined by language, which is defo- defined by ideas, which is defined by values. And yeah, if you just do a swap on that and you'd suddenly have a whole bunch of people who aren't on the same page, mm-hmm. that's going to have an impact. And some people might argue it's a good impact or a bad impact, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, it's an impact. So... <clears throat> that's a bit of a tangent though. So getting back to, I think your main point, which I res, which resonates with me is that yeah, the scriptures definitely talk about love of neighbor and care for others, mm-hmm. but at no point does it ever not, not in the old Testament, nor does it do it in the new Testament ever say that therefore Kings or those in authority have the right to extract wealth from some to give to others. Um, yeah with you know with a threat of violence right mm-hmm. which is which is our current system or or, or yeah or yeah or as we were listening to the podcast the other night maybe they don't do it through taxation because you know let's be honest most of what's going on now in terms of um programs that are supposed to help people they're not even being paid with taxes they're being paid with money that's just printed out of out of thin air mm-hmm. and so you could argue that well um taxes are theft Sorry, taxes for the purpose of transfer payments. That's theft. Mm-hmm. That's just simply stealing from one person and giving to another using the threat of force. Printing money is just theft against everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? Because what happens is, um, you know, we have, you know, we work for a living. So, you know, the assets we have, the money we have is, are things that we earned based on our labor. And that's basically our time, which is our life. We're giving our lives away in service to others and we're being paid for it. Um, and so when that, that, when that wealth is transferred to others via taxation, that's, that's that. But when it happens via the printing press, um, you're just diluting the money supply 
and now you're giving money to people who didn't earn it. Um, and so now you're letting them compete with people who did. And, and it's actually economically, it's, it's not even in the end fair to those that you're, that you're supporting in that manner because now what have you done? You've essentially paid them to be unproductive. And at the end of the day, and see this comes back to why do you believe people are poor? Poor people are poor. I mean, obviously there's exceptions. Some people are, they can't work and therefore they're poor, whatever. But if you talk about the, the main line of, of poverty, it's because people aren't as productive as, as they could or should be. Mm-hmm. And so the, the goal should be to make them more productive, Yeah. right? In which case they could get out of poverty but the government huh, is actually incenting them to do the opposite. And at the cost of inflating the money supply, which is really just a tax on everyone. So now they're stealing from everyone to give to some. Mm-hmm. And they call that compassion. Mm-hmm. But see, all these points are unargued for, right? So getting back to language, like there's an argument to be made, right? There is an argument to be made. But I think most evangelicals today and especially those who are to my left, um, I think they're unthoughtful. Um, I think they're lazy. And I think they've embraced the cultural trend of preferring rhetoric over reason and thought, which is why they come to the conclusions they come to. So I guarantee you, um, well, first of all, the people that came up with that were theologians. And most theologians don't know anything about economics. They don't understand it. So yeah, they know their Bible and, um, you know, they know maybe some history, but they don't know economics. So they're just, they're just ignorant when they come up with that statement mm-hmm. and they, and they, and they're allowed to be in that ignorance because people will cheer them on and support them in that because at the end of the day, it's good rhetoric. Mm-hmm. It I mean, sounds just, nice. It, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it yeah. sounds like. It, it sounds nice. And, and for those <clears> who <throat> sign it and I, I can't impugn all of their motives, I don't know, but at least for some people it's, Hey, I'm not, I'm not the the stupid backwoods hick, you know, um, wacko Christian. I'm the cool, yeah. culturally with progressive. it, progressive Christian. Mm-hmm. So you can like me and respect me. I'm safe. Right. Mm-hmm. But on the language side, so this is something you're teaching. You you, you teach our kids. So the, the, we, we, you know, we, we digressed on a particular point around politics and that is what it is. But I think there's a broader point. Um, what people can talk about deeply informs what they can believe and what they believe deeply informs who they are and deeply informs what they will do. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts as someone who's educating, well, four children, you're about to pick up a student. So you're really going to be educating five children, one of whom is not yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how does, how does that work as kids learn? I mean, you, you're in that, you're in that every day seeing them learn, um, how important is it just that words have meanings? Yeah, well, I think it helps them define their world. Um, your yeah. world gets bigger when you can you, define your more world things, gets right? bigger when you can define more things and you realize who you are in the context that you're that you're in. Um, I know I'm being like super, super general and really broad in, in this, but, um, and we can get into specifics, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the more language that you can give your child, especially, um, 
yeah, just the more context that you're creating for that child. And, um, yeah, I know it's super broad, super general, but yeah. So we, I try to read them, um, man, hard things, um, and hard things, maybe not so much in actual like vocabulary or like way above their, their, um, grade level, but hard things and like difficult topics, Mm-hmm. Uh, because they are, I, I don't want them living in a bubble. Mm. Um, I want them to be exposed to hard truths and I want to shape their opinion about those hard truths in a certain, with a certain perspective. Um, so yeah, we talked a lot about, um, the Middle Ages last year, each year we, in history and in science, we focus on different eras, but in history was the Middle Ages. And so we were talking about the French Revolution and honestly saw a lot of, um, and so we talk about current events as well. Uh, And so really my then seven-year-old, seven, seven, eight-year-old second grader, really picked up on a lot of parallel things between current times and the current political culture and civil unrest and all that kind of stuff and paralleled that with the French Revolution and uh, how uh, the French um, aristocrats were seen and how um, maybe perhaps a certain political party is seen and how the people's response to that was and how our responses to certain things. And it was just really interesting that because I talked to him or all of my kids, but you know, he's super inquisitive, um, he was able to parallel and like actually like say, we shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. because this may cause civil unrest mm-hmm. just like the French Revolution. And it was super, super insightful. This little seven-year-old was able just to pick up on that. Like, what a fantastic perspective to teach your seven-year-old through history, through the, yeah, just through learning the French, uh, the French Revolution. So, and the facts around that. So anyway, yeah, back to language. I mean, well, I, I mean, there, there is just a small example of, yeah, mm-hmm. language creates context. And there's an example of that. Like you are able to um, get more facts and context because you have more perspective. Yeah. And just, just so the listeners who are maybe just picking this up understand. So in your role, you homeschool yeah. now five students. Yeah. Um, four of whom are your own children, one of whom is... A bonus child. Bonus child from a friend. <laughs> so uh, just unpack that a little bit. What, what do you do in terms of what's the, what's the approach you take? What's the curriculum? What's the background? Mm-hmm. How long you've been doing it? Just kind of give us the pitch on the Hedgecock homeschool. Tell us... Homeschool prep school. Yeah, the, <laughs> tell us the, the history real quick, real quick, just so people can get some context. So I think this might, this part especially might be really useful for certain people who were, I mean, hey, everyone's a homeschooler now. Everybody, it is yeah. super, I was homeschooling before it was cool um, and popular. Maybe it still is not cool. 
Um, but yeah, so I've been homeschooling. This is my seventh year in homeschooling. I had to stop and count. Um, so yeah, I have kids, excuse me, from the ages four through 11. So pre-K through sixth grade. And, uh, yeah, so we got started homeschooling, uh, my oldest for various reasons. One is I really wanted to be able to, I wanted to be the one to inform their worldview and inform how they see the current events, how they see their neighbor, how they see their brother, how they view me, um, how they view their dad, how they view just everything. I, I wanted to be the one to teach that to them. Um, so it's, it's kind of been a, a journey. Um, so you just, I want to stop you for yeah. a second. You just said something big there. You said worldview. Yeah. So for, for people who aren't in, you know, our community, sure. like don't have the same background, like mm-hmm. what does that mean? And how might you contrast that with, you know, say, um, another approach to worldview? And, and how, you know, how do you see it? And maybe what, maybe what's a more historically typical American, say someone who uses public school, how they, how they might see it and where's kind of the contrast. Right. I think, um, well, I can just give an example of, of a worldview that's just kind of low hanging fruit, right? So worldview is your approach and perspective on everything you look at. So, um, for example, how did we all get here? One worldview would be that we were created beings by a God or a higher power or, you know, whatever. And you see the world as a created thing through this, through God or through this higher power. Another worldview or perspective would be that, well, everything evolved. Everything, you know, just happened to come together perfectly. And over long periods of time, uh, you or the, the world came to be as we know it. So that is one perspective. And you interpret everything in light of that perspective. You interpret um, and the environment and climate change and what's happening in, under that perspective. You interpret genetics and history under that perspective. Um, <clears throat> so, so you think there's some foundational things that people believe that informs the rest of how they see reality. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people who don't see that. Yeah. Right? They're just going to assume, well, what are you talking about? We're just... It's just facts. It's just facts. Yeah. Yeah. We're just saying. The world just came. Mm -hmm. But that's a worldview, right? Like, they don't know it, right? Right. They don't know that that's a worldview. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that there are fish that's been swimming in the ocean Mm -hmm. and and salt water. What's that? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. So that's helpful. So I think. Sure. So what you're saying is, is you're laying out that that worldview matters. I mean, would you, is it fair to say maybe that's the most important thing? Like that maybe that's the most important. If you're going to draw, like, <laughs> if you're going to like take a piece of paper and you're going to draw like, okay, I'm going to draw a line of distinction 
between what, what you're doing mm-hmm. in terms of homeschooling mm-hmm. and say what other, how others might approach it. That, that right there, I mean, now we can start to fill out both sides of the paper and there's, sure. and there's positives and negatives about everything, right? right. But if you're, if you're going for distinction, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not even saying right or wrong at this point. I'm just right. saying difference, distinction, right. that that might be the biggest thing that, that, it sounds like what you're saying in a sense is you reflective, you're, you're reflectively thinking about and recognize that worldview is a thing. Yeah. And yeah. now that's going to inform the way that you approach. Math or English or science or... So how does that work though? Because math is math. Numbers are numbers. So whether whether you take the, what you might call naturalistic, materialistic worldview mm-hmm. in which in the beginning there was nothing, nothing popped into something, it exploded into everything, mm-hmm. and then the rocks became planets and the planets right. became people, you still have numbers as opposed to God made everything. How is, how is math any different? How is math different? That's a good question. You're a lot more philosophical than I am. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's um, Mr. Hedgecock handles the philosophy, the philosophy <laughs> department of homeschool prep. Um, <laughs> so uh, why does math matter um, in, uh, you know, a... Or is math any different? Maybe, maybe the answer is, is no yeah. different. Whether you're... Whether you're doing sure. pagan math or Hindu yeah, math. Sh- or... Yeah, sure. Two plus two equals four, mm-hmm. no matter what perspective that you have. But why does it? Like, why? And again, I would refer to um, Mr. Hedgecock as <laughs> in my philosophy department because uh, he can better articulate those um, questions uh, yeah. with, I mean, with, I... our, with our kids. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would I would just say that the question proves the point um, in a, in a materialistic world where we're just matter mm-hmm. truths like two plus two equals four don't exist. Mm-hmm. So the very mere fact that we have two plus two equaling four that only exists because we live in a created world with meaning. Mm-hmm. Because, <clears throat> um, uh, well, <laughs> it's the world we live in, and that's why it happens. Right. Right. And and now I, I know people on the other side, are, they're just going to say the same thing. Well, right. no, we're just counting things. <clears throat> but my point isn't like, obviously, the point is, yes, we do count things and we've mm-hmm. assigned uh, symbolic meanings to them and we've called those things numbers. Right. But the fact that we have any agreement, the fact that we have anything that we call truth, that presupposes that there is a knower and purveyor of truth. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing that naturalistic, materialistic processes, processes do not get you as they don't get you to truth. I mean, even Darwin admitted this. He, he talked about his horrible doubt and he said, with me always arises the horrible doubt that if, you know, if man is simply evolved from lower animals, <clears throat> do the, do the strains of his mind have any meaning at all for if we could examine the mind of a monkey, what, mm-hmm. what sort of meaning might it have? And so what, what evolution gives you is survivability Mm-hmm. Right, but it doesn't give you rationality, right? Because there's a number of irrational things that might produce survivability, right? I could say that some <clears throat> hominid ancestor, you know, saw a lion and thought, "Well, lions are cute, and I should pet them." And the way you pet them is to run the other way and climb up a tree. That's a completely irrational set of propositions. Yet it would provide the same, the same sort of survivability that that 
there's a lion, it might eat me. I should I should run up and hide up a tree from it. One one happens to be true. Right. And yet, and, and the problem just gets worse when you really think about it because I just gave you one untrue scenario. The fact is, is there's an infinite number of untrue scenarios that would all, if they if they led to the right actions, would still provide um, survivability. And yet rationality is, is the exception, not the rule. Hmm. And so why is it that we're in a universe <clears throat> where apparently we're always getting the exception to the rule of survivability? Right. Um, it seems like a pretty big arrow pointing to an intelligent... Yeah, created order creator. of things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, that's why Scott answers <laughs> these questions because he can articulate it way better. I'm just like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. something nothing can't come from something can't come from nothing <laughs> which is what i yeah. feel like is kind of given to me or to us through um maybe more evolutionary approaches to the beginning of the universe but kind of went on a little rabbit trail on that so um yeah because we're talking about homeschool, we're talking about worldview and but i think it's really important mm-hmm. because i think i mean it's sort of like it's sort of like in my job in finance in financial planning and wealth management, it's like if if I could just get people to recognize some really basic truths and live them out, that's actually way more important than all of the detail work that they think I should do for them. Mm-hmm. And it's like I always start with people and I say, look, if if you're trying to achieve financial independence, which is just freedom, right? Which I think at the end of the day, what people want, they want freedom from the cares of this world in terms of financial cares to live their life to be their authentic selves, to spend time with their family, to do the things that they care about. They want that, and, and, and money is a vehicle to do that. Assets, mm-hmm. wealth is a vehicle to do that. I shouldn't say money, because money can be, you know, <clears throat> inflation can strip away your money in an instant, but not an instant, but in a short period of time. So uh, wealth can do that. But if people would just recognize that, you know, there's two inputs, right? What you have and what you spend. Mm-hmm. And if you're spending too much, you need to have more. And if you don't have enough, you need to get more. I mean, but those are really basic truths. And what I'm saying for you is I think it's kind of like people, they, a lot of times I think they want to come to you or they want to listen to something and say, how do I be a better educator of my children? And you can give them tips and tools. Sure. Right. But there's these really important foundational things right. that need to happen, such as worldview. Otherwise, what are you doing? Are you just going to get your kids really good at doing math for the sake of doing math? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we could do that, right? Right. But what if they became really good at math and figured out how to exterminate half the population of Europe? Like, right. yeah. <laughs> and their math made them really good at that. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. So there's these other matters. things, yes. right? There's these yeah. worldview things because sure. it's not just about filling their head full of facts. But anyway. Yeah. So I just, I just wanted to pause there for a second and say. Mm-hmm. It's a tangent, yep. but it's really not. And I think we need to emphasize that with people because people always want to get the hot take. They want to get the tip. They want to get the how-to. Right. And I think most people would be better served if they took a step back. Yeah. Just like I try to with people and say, what's the foundational big picture here? Let's get yeah. that right. Mm-hmm. Let's understand that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's, let's, have a, let's be thoughtful about that and have an approach. Mm-hmm. And their approach may not be the exact same as ours. That's, that's fine. Yeah. But let's be thoughtful and start to work out from there. So that being said. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I Over the course of the summer with COVID and everything, I think I have had nine, nine parents come up to me and ask how to homeschool their kids. 
And I always start out with the one question. What is the end goal? What is the end goal? Mm. Because (laughs) I would much rather have a child who is caring, loving, um, honoring, and uh, hardworking, truthful, than be or take all the AP classes in every single subject, but be deceitful, mm. conniving. Um, yeah. Just not trust, not, you know, I, I, I care a lot more about character. And I think that's... And not saying that I don't care about grades or I'm like, well, if you don't ever pass your third grade math, I'm okay with that. I'm not saying that. But um, what is your end goal? Well, because you could have the one. You can have the one. Without you, the other. Without but, the other. But, it, but probably if you get the, the first one right, the character, right. the caring, the honoring, all of that, then mm-hmm. you'll probably get the passing of third grade math. For sure. But if you focus on the passing of third grade math, you, you might not ever get the other stuff. Right. And I think this is the way that <clears throat> the business world is going. I mean, mm-hmm. people do business with, they hire, generally speaking, with people that they know, people they like, people they trust. And I, I know... Um, you know, that there are a lot of people out there that want to hire people. They want to, um, whether that be hire people for their business or hire people to do work for them. And they want those good, wise, virtuous people you're talking about. Sure. They may not use those terms, but right. I think it's what comes across as they know people better. Right. And here's the thing. Knowledge has been commoditized. You can get knowledge anywhere. Yeah. You can get, you can go in, you can get an MIT get all the knowledge of an MIT degree for free from MIT. You can audit all of their classes online. Mm-hmm. If you don't pay them, you're not going to get the degree. So you don't get the street cred of it. Right. But if you but just you want the, the knowledge, knowledge, yeah, you can get it. And if you think about it, it used to be not everyone went to college. So yeah. a college degree meant something because not mm-hmm. everyone had it. Right. Sort of like at one point, a high school degree meant something because not everyone had it. Mm-hmm. But now once everyone has it, it means very little. It's just check the box. Right. So, and I'm not against college per se. I'm not at this point saying, well, forget college. But what I am saying is what is, I think what you're getting at is that you could come out of college. You could have all the data you need. You Mm -hmm. could have all the knowledge you need. If you don't have the things you're talking about, I don't think the economy of the future. Yeah. You're not going to be successful. Like a person who works in finance is not going to be successful if they are a cheat, if they are a liar, if they are dishonest and if they're two-faced. Well, they could work for Goldman Sachs. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, exactly. There's only so many of those jobs available. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be very successful. And probably not not in the long run. Right, right? not in the long it run. Maybe in the beginning you're going to get caught. Um, and so, or you have to go into government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or a politician. Those yeah. are your options, Goldman Sachs or a politician. Um, yeah, so, you know, yeah, I asked that. Uh, of parents because I want them to what is my goal is my goal just to like get my kid through high school just to get them through college or you know is my goal for a character stuff as well because there are some things that you can incorporate in school and even how you approach math it's not so much um yeah it's not so much getting through the math lesson it's how, how do you get through the math lesson? 
sure, you can be screaming and yelling at your kid and your kid is screaming and yelling at you, but well, you checked off the box. Mm. Like, how do you define success? And so it's also just to get the parents to realize that, you know what, you may not finish that math lesson, but you and your child had a really serious conversation about what, how to relate to each other, that I'm not going to scream at you because I value you as a person and you're not going to scream at me because you value me as a person and I'm your mom. Um, and that's what, that's what we value. We value mutual respect. And we may not finish that math lesson, but we have learned and you have instilled a different lesson in your child that is way more valuable, in my opinion, than any third grade math lesson that you may accomplish for the day. And so, um, yeah, (laughs) if you find yourself um, doing those things or those kinds of behaviors going on, ask yourself, what do you really want to instill in your child? If you're screaming and yelling and you guys are both screaming and yelling at each other and there's tears being shed and stuff like that, you have to really ask, well, how important is this third grade math lesson to check off the box? And am I, am I really being successful? Mm-hmm. And yeah, kind of redefining success in homeschool or in education. So Yeah, so it's not just getting through the material. It's not just getting, that yeah. is an important component of it. Obviously, we don't want to be stuck in third grade math for the rest of their lives. Um, but I think that you can go about accomplishing those things in a lot more dignified way that um, where you are teaching your child how to persevere and how to do hard work and how to do it respectfully versus getting really pissed at your boss and blowing up at your boss because he's asked you to do something that you don't want to do. We, I, I think we've all seen at some point in our lives those coworkers or that boss perhaps um, interacting with other people um, like that and they needed their mom to tell them, hey, you don't get to talk to me like that. They may have been the person that finished the math lesson but didn't learn the life lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> what is, do you use a particular curriculum or a particular model right. or so, what, what goes along with that? And how is that, if at all, related back to the earlier point we were, you were making about, we were talking about worldview? Yeah. So, um, no, that's a good question. And it's kind of formed over the, or changed, morphed maybe over the course of the seven years that I've been teaching the kids. Um, so wait, so you adjust over time? I do adjust over time. Hmm. Not rigid. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But I'm sure like there's a school board and the state has curriculum mandates and that's how you get that's how you get it right, is you have some committee of bureaucrats who tell you what to do. Is that how it works? Right. There are some days that I wish that I didn't have to plan the things that I have to plan. But uh, no, no, I am, I, I am, I'm it. And I like that. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, so it's me. Uh, so I started off and still do a classical model of education. 
And this is a very foreign concept to most of us because it is not the public school, um, their current model of education. And so basically, in a nutshell, and this could be an hour's long lecture um, of what classical education it is, uh, what classical education is, but in a nutshell, it is educating your child in the, um, let's see, like I said, <laughs> you can go an hour, so I'm trying to think of how succinctly to put this without confusing anybody. So every child, for the most part, goes through kind of three pri three stages of development, and it's edu it's educating your child given those stages of development. So they're um, they're educated in what's called the the trivium, and so the elementary school years would be kind of like grammar school was how we referred to schools maybe a hundred years ago. You had your grammar school. And then you moved on to some kind of like, perhaps what we would call like a finishing school or a prep school or something like that. I'm trying to use terms that people may be somewhat familiar with. Um, so the grammar stage, the grammar school, you um, basically maybe pre-K through sixth grade-ish, depending on the child, you're just doing what it is, what you're you're filling their heads with grammar you're filling their heads with language you're filling their heads with definitions you're just adding vocabulary in all subjects history history science english um let's see geography we do latin and you're just filling their dictionaries of all those subjects full of meanings and then in the middle school, they really get to um, chew on that a little bit. And uh, they get to kind of repeat back to you a little bit more through writing what all of that means, who Henry Clay was. Um, again, my eight-year-old today was asking me about the Missouri Compromise and <laughs> why Missouri wanted to be a slave state and why the union basically had to, like, why this big thing, why, why did there have to be this big, like, compromise between the union and Missouri, and why was it a big deal? So that, he is really close to approaching, even though he's a young, on the younger side, he is really approaching the um, kind of the second stage of learning, which is um, the dialectic where they get to kind of, like, talk about it and develop positions a little bit and learn a little bit more logic. And then the final stage, which would be high school, is um, really debate and learning and really honing in their logic and being able to articulate their position and response and rebuttals. And um, so that's what really attracted me to this um, school or this method of learning rather, is because I liked that um, the kids that I knew could articulate very well their uh, response and they were very respectful and tried to learn the opposing view and just didn't make assumptions. And, um, and they knew 
they knew what they knew and they could defend that. And that's something that I didn't get growing up and I definitely could benefit from that even now. And so I wanted that for my kids. Do you think maybe that's something all of society, broader society could benefit from today? Oh, absolutely. You look moving, at... Yeah. Moving beyond rhetoric. Yeah. Mere rhetoric. Mere rhetoric, yeah. And, and actually thinking about logic and... Right. And yeah. approaching things, um, really understanding the other side and maybe doing research instead of just making a whole bunch of assumptions of what the other side believes. Uh, yeah, I think everybody would benefit from a debate class, which is basically what all of the high school level is <laughs> hmm. um, in, uh, yeah, in the classical model. Okay. Yeah. So as you have been working through this, mm -hmm. educating children at home, um, what, what do you think it's done to you? Like, how has it shaped you as a person, as a mother? Yeah, it's redeemed a lot of my education. I don't know where I was the first, oh, I don't know, eight years of being in school, because I'm like, I don't remember most of the stuff that I'm sure I learned, or at least I remember hearing about. And, uh, yeah, I think the other really big thing that I really, really enjoy doing that I didn't mention before, you asked me about, like, what curriculum do I use? I use solid math and reading curriculums as, like, major staples. I, you know, I go out and buy, you know, math curriculum and stuff like that and reading the same. I have, you know, reading curriculum that I'm um, very diligent in following the lesson plans and stuff laid out. Where I, we talked about the importance of how I want to really um, form my children's worldview. It comes in through the other subjects, history, science, and actually use just regular books. They are interested in, well, I told my son that I would look up more on the Missouri Compromise and Henry Clay because I didn't really know too much about it um, other than, yeah, other than what I just said. Uh, but yeah, that I can sit down, I can do a little bit of research for them, find some books on the topics that they're interested in, and I really let them direct what they want to learn. So my eight-year-old wants to learn more about um, the Civil War, wants to learn more about, you know, the slave issues and slavery and what the, like, what, yeah, what the Missouri Compromise was. And, and then we can sit and talk about it. Like, that's the interesting thing is the thing that I love to do is everybody has an opinion on something, even if it's just a... Uh, uh, a basic opinion about it. Like, we can all agree that slavery is wrong, right? Even my four-year-old can say, yes, slavery is wrong, but we all can glean from each other. And so I just ask them, what do you know about slavery? What do you know about the Southern states? What do you know about the Civil War? They tell me what they know, and then I get to use a book that I've picked out to inform you know, to kind of fill in the information gaps. And then we can sit and talk about it. And like, do you see slavery today, perhaps? What could be a form of slavery? Mm. And if they don't know, I can offer some suggestions. Like, well, 
credit card debt. That's a form of slavery. <laughs> yeah, heroin <laughs> you know? addiction. Heroin addictions. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that, um, you know, can be viewed as some form of slavery. Uh, yeah, maybe not to the extent of owning another person, although I do think that that does exist today, not in a racial sense, but... Um, well, some countries, yeah. yeah. Yeah, some countries, yeah, but I'm just talking in the in the U.S. But um, yeah, so it's just, it's really great to like have these discussions because I want them to be able to respect other people's opinions and that everybody has some kind of information, something that they can learn from and they need to take turns and listen to what other people have to say. And, you know, that is a valuable skill that I think my eight-year-old has down better than most grown adults that I know. Mm -hmm. And so that you don't know everything. No one person knows everything. Everybody can learn from, from somebody. And I think it's just a really valuable school. So, you know, I approach science the same way. You know, what do you know about the sun? What do you know about, you know, and they will rattle off. And again, my eight-year-old, who is, tends to be the more inquisitive one and asks 20 questions about the same thing every which way, you know, asked about, so if stars can have supernovas and will eventually explode, can the sun explode? Mm. Well, that is a very good question. <laughs> I didn't have the answer to because I had never thought of it before. But had I not have given the platform for them to like think freely for themselves, I wouldn't have looked into this question. And so anyway, I researched the question for, well, for the benefit of all of them, but, you know, to answer his question and turned out that our sun is made up of um, different composition of different gases, which makes it more stable and a lot less likely to um, explode. And then, you know, compared to other stars, and I, of course, forget what all those gases are right now off the top of my head. But, um, you know, it just, I, yeah, I don't have a particular history curriculum that I use on a regular basis. I don't have a particular science curriculum that I use. I just kind of pick a theme for the year. Last year was astronomy, which is where I got my star question from. And we just, I let them kind of lead into their interests. Like, how cool would have that, you know, how cool would that have been if somebody was like, wow, your questions are really interesting. Let's go find more about that. Instead of, well, I have an agenda, and I have these chapters that we have to get through. And so we need, yeah, yeah, we need to, this is what is important, not what you think, yeah. but, what I, but what I have to think. And so you see that attitude honestly reflected in a lot of people today. What I have to say is important. What you are thinking isn't because it might be weird or a different perspective or whatever. And so I'm just going to plow through this information you're just going to sit and listen and there's no discussion yeah well and that's interesting you know just thinking through what you just said about it mm -hmm. um I mean, it sounds like you really know your stuff so 
you know, for our listeners that don't know, your background, you were educated as a teacher, like you spent a lot of time studying this, or tell us about your background. Oh, yeah. Yeah, super educated as a teacher, Matt. Uh, yeah, so my background, so I graduated high school. <laughs> no, Good job. I, I did that at least. No. Um, so I'm actually a labor and delivery nurse. Um, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in science and nursing. So I do have a little bit of a science background, but, you know, mostly health science. So, yeah, honestly, I'm learning right along with them, but I have learned how to learn. So when my kids ask me questions, I like, let's look this up at the, well, the libraries are closed now, but in the past it would be, let's go to the library and let's go check out some books. And I'm teaching them how to learn because I want them to always be learning, even past the age of 22. Mm-hmm. I want them to love learning. And that was something that wasn't instilled in me. It's grown as I've been teaching my children and I want them to be excited learning yeah so that's my background I don't um I don't have any training other than whatever I can books I can read about homeschooling and again I'm learning a lot of the stuff for the second time but really for the first time mm-hmm. so and I think also like that's too important for them to see that not everybody is good at everything and that there are times when I'm like yeah I'm really struggling in this subject too so let's figure out how to do this together and um yeah that they can see I'm vulnerable but they are also I'm also a model for learning how to learn so um you know some people would say you know well you have this skill set, like you're a nurse, and now right. you you still work as a nurse, but it's not your full time occupation. Right. I mean, if you're well, you're kind of pulling double duty right now because you're working. And <laughs> thanks, COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <clears throat> right. Um, I guess what I'm thinking of, what I want to get at, is mm-hmm. how do you think about how do you answer what what are even the issues that come up? Because I don't even know exactly what the questions are, but. You know, I'll just say this, in, in our culture, mm-hmm. the idea of being a woman who is, has a, a, a large degree of focus on the home, on educating children, on mm-hmm. raising children, um, that would seem to be, you're, you're, you know, you're not living your best life. You're not living up to what you could be like, oh, you have the, you could, you could be a career woman, you're mm-hmm. more focused on that, you could do this, Yeah, like, you could have an impact and, you know. Sure. I mean, it's sort of like, I guess what I'm getting at is. Why am I not doing what I've been gifted and trained to do? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and as a woman, you know, as a, as a modern, intelligent, mm-hmm. you know, 21st century woman, you know, post-feminism, feminism, whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> isn't this kind of, you know, beneath you or shouldn't you just outsource this? I mean. I guess I, I, I'm trying to get at a question, but I'm just, how do you, what comes at you? How do you think about that? Just yeah. you kind of speak to that issue and then mm. maybe what's the perspective you take for women, um, you know, who, yeah, now they're faced with this and they're like, you know, this is beneath me or this is not, you know, what I was, I'd be, I'd be so much better off if I was just, you know, in my career or the woman who's just like, 
I'm not a teacher. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so hard. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot there. There, Yeah, there is a lot there. Um, Let's see. Well, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's beneath me to teach my children things. Um. (laughs) Kind of everybody does that. Right. I mean. Everybody starts out homeschooled. Right. Right. That's what I tell everybody who's like, oh, I could never homeschool. And I was like, well, you realize you taught your child a foreign language. And they like look at me very puzzled. And I'm like, they did not know English. And you taught them English without having a degree in English. Yeah. And they're like, you're right. I did. So you do teach your kids a lot of things. Hard things. English is a hard language, first of all. Um, <laughs> yeah, our kids are pretty good at English. And our kids are, yeah, they're pretty good at English. Um, at least speaking it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're always teaching your kids something. And as far as impact, like, sure. When I take care of a mom in labor, I and help her deliver her baby and overcome hard things. Of course, that makes an impact. I would say that I have more of an impact. Parents have more of an impact on their children than they do strangers. You see it in people who, um, man, like look at the people in prison. Look at the people who struggle in life. The biggest denominator of all those people groups are that they do not have parental involvement. I mean, school teachers will tell you. School teachers will tell you if parents are not involved in their children's education, that their kids struggle Mm. in school. So what does that say about your influence and impact on your child. And if every parent, not necessarily saying that you have to homeschool because I'm not a homeschooler best um, perspective, but just what if you had a much more, or a, yeah, were way more involved in your child's education? Imagine what kind of impact collectively that we could have as a culture on our on the future of our society on the future of our kids if we took an interest in their education cuz it again it goes back to what i was saying it isn't so much just making sure that the child like passes the third grade math lesson but you are teaching your kids so much more cuz a, a teacher can do that a teacher can can make a child like check off the list and check the third grade math lesson, right? But a parent is what forms the character of that child. And when you don't have parental involvement, that negatively, dramatically impacts a child. If a child does not have a dad, dramatically impacts a child. If a child is raised without a mother, dramatically impacts a child. Um, you know, unfortunately, children in broken homes dramatically impacts a child. 
all these things dramatically impact children. We see how necessary parental involvement is um, to children and what greater opportunity can you have than being involved, um, one way is being involved in their, in their education. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty big impact, more so than any woman that I help push her baby out. I mean, yes, I, do I have an impact there too? Sure. But I'm not changing a society. I'm not changing a culture by helping a woman go unmedicated, you know, yeah. and conquering conquering that. Well, and it's, it's interesting too, you think about it. Um, so this week I'm, <clears throat> I will be involved in going to Presbytery, right? And uh-huh. making decisions about the church, right? Mm-hmm. About, so we're, sure. so we're part of the Presbyterian church and we're, we're, we're part of a church that belongs to the Presbyterian church in America. So it's a, it's, it's a reformed Presbyterian denomination. And one of the things we do is we get together as elders and, um, you know, it's, it's going to be guys. It's going to be a bunch of men because mm-hmm. we have male only elders and we're all there getting together and doing that, doing the business of the church. And sometimes people look at that and say, well, you know, where are women involved in ministry, right? Yeah. Where, where are the women of the church? How can we promote them, right? Mm-hmm. And there are certainly, there are many things for women to do in the church. For sure. Outside, even outside of raising children. Yeah. But in terms of what the future of our church looks like, mm-hmm. regard, I mean, yeah, what we do is important, <clears throat> this week in terms yeah. of qualifying men to come and take a call to be a, to be a pastor in our in our presbytery to go in and to to have shepherding care over people's souls mm-hmm. that's important and that's you know one side of the coin but the other side of the coin that's just as important is all of those little souls that are being raised up for the future right that are the the future ministers or the future mothers the future people Right. That will be. It's just, it's it's so important. I think what you've hit on is, it, it is really important. And it's almost like, in some ways, it's almost shameful to say that. I mean, our society mm-hmm. recoils at that, that, wait a minute, Scott, <clears throat> you just said, you men are going to go to Presbytery and have discussions and run the church. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, but yeah, children are part of the church too. Right. And the women and all of our wives, you know, my yeah. pa- our pastor is going to go and his wife won't be there. She'll be with the kids raising them. She'll be with the other, the smaller church members yeah. mm-hmm. but, ministering to them. Yeah. yeah these are people mm-hmm. like children are people who need to be ministered to. And you have this amazing right. ministry. And, and we think about it like you and I both went to a Christian school where, you know, they sent out missionaries and I believe in foreign missions. I mean, I, I support yeah. it. You should go 100%. and you should, you should love and serve your, your neighbor who's far off. Right. For sure. And yeah. in every way with, with, with whatever their physical needs are that you can do, whatever their spiritual <clears> needs are. <throat> You should do all of that, and you should do that with your children. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's, I just... Yeah, uh, you're not going to have very many um, ministers if the mothers are neglectful yeah. and the fathers, too, are neglectful and not raising, again, not going back to the character instilling. Like, they may be really good at math. Do you ask the ministers to do a math problem? Yeah. Yeah. No, we are, they are, you know, character, right? And 
Um, yeah, I mean, they have to go to seminary and all that. So you're asking different kinds of problems for sure. But you can have the most, you know, reformed, whatever, knowledgeable man come before you. And you can then ask, well, how is your marriage? Well, I cheat on my wife and mm-hmm. I have a girlfriend on the side. Like character matters, right? I don't tithe. I don't, I'm not generous. I don't really, I don't remember the last time I did anything for my neighbor. Like that would be a I wrote horrible. up some silly statement and signed it on yeah. for life evangelicals for Biden. <laughs> right? I mean, That's just have so these. horrible. Yeah. Horrible you, just, you have thing. these people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you are, women do have a ministry. Um, and they do have a, a role, a calling. Um, it's called mom. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's not a degradation uh, to women. It's an honor. Like you are called to just be, I mean, you have the most informative years. Hmm. Mothers have the most impactful years. It isn't when they're 22 and learning things in college or it isn't when they become church members, then that's when the real work begins and, you know, you now have title of pastor and elder. No, moms, you have the most important years of a child's development, informing them into who they are going to be um, as the 22-year-old or as the 40-year-old or as the whatever-year-old. That is a very, very weighty job. It almost sounds like when you say that, that you're, you're saying that the education that is typically done, say, in a classroom or a right. curriculum is almost like it's, it's, it's just right alongside the education of life, of, of mm-hmm. being discipled, sure. of being turned into, in, in our circles, we would say a mature Christian mm-hmm. uh, individual, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like you're saying that, no, it's just one more spoke on that wheel, Right. And yet it's interesting because we have this idea, I think, in, in our culture that, well, no, it's this other thing, right? right. So you have, you have, you, you know, we've been seeing the church, you, you know, you got kids, you know, kids church, you got big church, you got Sunday school, you got, then they can go off to this, you know, the real school, the, the public school or whatever it is, almost mm-hmm. like, but what we're saying is like, no, it's, it's holistic. Like, it's yeah. not that we're, it's not like that we're mixing, it's not, we're saying like, well, we, we do homeschooling because we want our, our children to have a religious, a Christian education. Well, that's part of it, but it's just part of their Christian education. It's right. just part of educating them. Like, right. We're Christians, so we're right. going to educate our children in a Christian manner. Mm-hmm. And we're not saying this is the only Christian manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other, But for us, this is how we've chosen to do it. Um, and it's it's holistic. It's integrated. It's just, it's like you said, it's no different than you, you taught them English. Right. So yeah, now now you've picked up a book and now you're being a little more intentional in terms of you're not just kind of educating them haphazardly throughout the day. You're, right. You set aside time to do it, but it's not a different thing entirely than we've always done. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that was... How many minutes? I think that's pretty good. Well, thank you for being um, my first guest.